You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast, and I have uh, Michael Garfield. He's a paleontologist slash futurist. He's an evolutionary theorist and multimedia artist, and um, he's uh, created some provocative work, talking uh, conversations about our future and a deep study of big history. Uh, he's a public speaker for 14 years and a performer on the trail of a new unifying theory to explain the major evolutionary transitions, including one that we all are participating in. And he now splits his time between hosting the Future Fossils podcast and working in communications at the Santa Fe Institute. So, Mike, thanks for coming. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, tell me about your work. What um, you, you you try to describe major evolutionary transitions, and uh, it looks like you're talking about how we uh, are co-evolving with technology. So, can you give a little bit of background on you know what your thinking has been in this area? Yeah, I went to school for vertebrate paleontology. You know, I was doing field work every summer in Wyoming, digging up Jurassic dinosaur fossils and reconstructing their ecologies under the mentorship of Robert Bacher, who for any any fellow dinosaur fan will like will know the name. He's he was a consultant on Jurassic Park and hugely influential in reshaping the way that people imagine dinosaurs as active, warm-blooded, uh, family-living creatures with this dynamic ecosystem that is like, in reality, so much richer than than we imagined it was even a decade ago. But at any rate, huh. I was, you know, I'm, I was getting deeper and deeper into the study of of ecologies and ecological transitions, and you know, right right there, working at the boundary uh, around the origin of flowering plants, which you know has persisted throughout my life in a uh, a really beautiful way, a sort of an orienting uh, mystery, right? Because it, it it's a it's a moment of extraordinary creativity where entire new ecosystems come online, and a, there's a total proliferation of niches. Uh, you know, all of the the new pollinating uh, plant specific creatures, the the beetles and the birds and, and so on, um, erupt into this space. And in a, in a lot of ways, like that event is like the event that we're living through right now, where the the whole ecosystem becomes much more hyper-connected, much more complex, 
And, uh, mm. you know, I, much later on, I read about this in the work of Richard Doyle at Penn State. But, uh, you know, he's, he's someone I really uh, respect and has, has given this very thing uh, a, a real thorough once over <laughs> with respect to information theory, as well as, as uh, rhetoric and like the way that we're actually thinking and metaphorizing these things in science. So at any rate, like the, this isn't like a linear story of, of this stuff, but like the more I got into and the more I learned about these, you know, the way that uh, individual organisms, species, ecosystems are transforming in order to accommodate these uh, surges in creativity that are made possible by a, like a, a sort of recombinant force in evolution that exists in order to to uh, best manage the dissipation of energy in, across a landscape. And we're talking like, you know, the, the origin of photosynthesis and then the emergence of a uh, an oxygen metabolism, you know, in order to integrate this this waste product that had polluted the atmosphere that was toxic to all life up to that point. You know, it's like at, at every point we we sort of like paint ourselves into a corner, and, and by we I mean like the biosphere, everything on Earth, and it and we we have to align into much more complex new forms in, in different ways, different, you know, meaningful, like kind of scientifically specific ways. And, uh, you know, and, and even though individual organisms don't necessarily themselves um, all follow the same sort of evolutionary trajectory, when you look at it in aggregate, um, what you see are these, these moments that are, that are like time and time again in, in the history of the planet, there are these sort of remix um, epochs where uh, some new way of linking uh, organisms together ex occurs as a spontaneous solution to some, you know, some sort of crisis in the in the the, the ecosystem at like a very basic thermodynamic level. And uh, so we're in one right now, and you know we're seeing right. on the one hand ex unprecedented extinctions, on the other hand unprecedented levels of innovation and and uh, you know, rapid change that's making a lot of people uncomfortable. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good way to frame things, uh, that is to say deeply in order to understand what's going on now so that, you know, we have at least something to hold on to. Well, I realized I haven't talked to anyone about <clears throat> paleontology. So while I have you, if you don't mind, <laughs> can you tell me a few interesting things about dinosaurs? Like you said that we've learned, you know, in the past 10, 20 years that, you know, the, the public doesn't really know about. Like what's like you know what's the new newness about them? Yeah, I mean you know the the beauty is that a lot of this stuff is being very well reported, but the the thing the angle on it that I don't hear a lot of people talking about the the sort of how of this thing is that so much of the new discoveries that have been happening around the world are because the so-called developing world uh, is developing and is tearing up a lot of land to put in buildings, and so you're you have a massive uh, displacement of earth, like humans as a, a process of erosion that is really unprecedented in history. And so like the, the weird thing about the, the fact that we're living in a golden age of paleontology is that it is precisely because we are living in what, uh, you know, other scholars have named the Anthropocene, you know, the human age at which, you know, the age 
that we are living, uh, that we are leaving a geological record that we are like the dominant geological force on land on this planet right now. And that's, that's, uh, you know, to articulate it that way is to emphasize that we are a geological force, not that we somehow like transcend nature, uh, but that we are literally like an epiphenomenon of the wind and earth and so on. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's humbling. Um, But at any rate, you know, that's, I think that's the thing to, to consider about dinosaurs is like, they they always represented the dragons on the edge of the map and as our map grows so to do the edges in this cool fractal way right and uh part of that is you know an, a a uh, psychological uh evolution where you know we're we're becoming more and more cognizant of these sort of internal dragons at the edges of the maps of our our sort of understandings of the human mind and on the other side is like we are literally digging up tons of buildings um, like many, many, many of these new discoveries uh, in the last 15, 20 years have been in China. And that's really where the most, ex- some of the most exciting stuff has been, where, you know, the, the history of the family of Tyrannosaurus, uh, you know, the, these tiny little things that ultimately grew up to be this, you know, monstrous, iconic thing. Um, you see, we have a really c- clear fossil record of that stuff from uh, Eastern Asia now you know, 50, 70 million years before Tyrannosaurus Rex. So that's a beautiful thing. Hmm. Steve Brusati, who is still, who is a legitimate practicing field paleontologist and was deeply immersed in that specific research. Uh, I had him on Future Fossils podcast on episode 70. And uh, he was talking about that. He's a cool guy. He was, um, he's, he's one of, he's about my age. And it's cool to see uh, folks in my cohort who were like studying this stuff the same time I was in college now and like stuck with it and are now like the ones that are the, the, the talking heads in media, like uh, Bob Barker was right. when I was a kid and like looking up to him. So that's, that's an oblique answer to your question. <laughs> okay. Um, well, so you said we're going through a, uh, a major evolutionary change right now. So what does that mean? You know, what, uh, what will we see or experience? You know, what do you think is going to happen over the next however many years where we see evidence that uh, we're going through a major evolutionary change? Well, okay, so I like thinking of it in terms of phase transitions, which, you know, like from physics, thinking about, you know, boiling a pot of water or, you know, the, the way that frost forms on a windshield. Um, you know, life is this pattern that emerges at an energetic gradient at a boundary in nature. Uh, Dorian Sagan co-authored, I have to, I hope I am forgiven for forgetting the other author's name, but there's this great book, Into the Blue, uh, which is about this thermodynamics and and self-organization. And this is increasingly, um, you know, this this view, which was articulated uh, by Ilya Prigogine in 1973, that, that living systems are dissipated structures that were, the metabolism exists to sort of close an energy gradient in an ecosystem. Um, that that view has has taken has has sort of expanded into a multi-scale investigation, where uh, people are looking at the way that uh, organisms at all levels, from individual cells within the tissues, within these different organ systems, to the the animal, to the society that it lives in, to the ecosystem, to you know the entire planet and then basically the solar system even are 
all sort of different frames of this single metabolic process. So that's like, that's, a, that's one big piece of it, you know? And so to look at the amount of free energy that humans have unleashed, you know, through these successive uh, technological revolutions, especially over the last few hundred years, um, it, that is a huge piece of why we are experiencing this, this uh, explosion in information, you know, because there are thermodynamic costs of, of an irreversible computation, like a computation occurring in a body, um, you know, to a, a thinking organism navigating through its environment uh, it, you know, we we are looking for sort of like every available grain of sugar in this thing. And, uh, you know, so in a way that Kevin Kelly articulated beautifully in, in what technology wants, uh, you know, we are just sort of participating at first mindlessly and now at least potentially mindfully in this sort of cosmic relay race uh, in which we persist as human beings um, in whatever sense we choose to adhere to that. And that's an interesting term to just put a pin in that. That's a, you know, that's going to be a hotly contested notion, uh, you know, what, what it is to be a human being in, in this century as we get more uh, competent with like our genetic editing and, and uh, manipulation of, of our, the human genome. But yeah, I mean, so like what's going on now is, akin to what's what's always uh happened at one of these transitions where like the 25 different times or so at least 25 different times that uh, multicellularity emerged independently in different strains of life and so it's you know as a response it sort of compresses each of us uh into a new structure in which there's greater diversity greater innovation the pace of life is greater. Uh, Jeffrey West writes about this in, in his book, Scale. Jeff West was a you know, former president at, at Santa Fe Institute. And he talks about this with respect to cities and how cities are these, these boiler uh, innovation zones because of the density of connections between people and the number of times people encounter one another. And so, you know, he's, he's found that cities... Uh, demonstrate a, a, a metabolism similar to ecosystems, at, but just scaled up, and that uh, that companies demonstrate a metabolism similar to individual organisms, but just scaled up in the sense that companies tend to die, uh, but like sort of boil up within ecosystems. I mean, within cities in the same way that organisms come and go within these these ecosystems. So, I mean, that's that is to say that the main the main transition that we're really going through right now is a conceptual one. It's a worldview one in which we understand that we are embedded inside of things. Not that we're like on the planet, but the, uh, the in important ways we are like within all of these different layers. And I think that's only going to become more obvious uh, with uh, a more thorough implementation of augmented reality when that sort of becomes part of the fabric of human daily experience. Because, you know, the, when, our sensory realm becomes so palpably hypertextual, then you know everything will feel much more layered and, and natural in that sense. And I think in that sense, more accurate to what's actually going on, because you know, as you know, like Marshall McLuhan was saying decades ago, that you know we are all sort of within this giant nervous system now. 
you think people will be more aware of their environment if they're in augmented or virtual reality or less aware? Uh, well, two parts, right? One is uh, what environment, uh, and then two is both, because what happens at, is that there's a constant expansion of possibility, basically, as, as the sort of subunits of ever greater macro level systems uh, with ever more emergence and novelty uh, become themselves more diverse in order to support what is uh, the, the, the sort of like dark side of this is that what we're really talking about is an increase in the regulatory complexity of these bigger and bigger systems. So, you know, we become more and more collective, like even uh, Teilhard de Chardin was saying this in the 50s, that we become hyper-specialized as we become hyper-collectivized. And so I think, you know, people will become, there will be some people that are more and some people that are less aware of what is going on. Um, and that's a pretty natural, you know, you, one would expect to see that kind of distribution. <laughs> so do, you, do you see us um, merging with... Uh with AI or with other technology or becoming more like cyborgish, you know, I mean, I know we'll have augmented virtual reality, but what about our physical bodies? Where do you think that's going? Well, um, it's a timeline thing. Uh, but in another respect, there's a deeply important way in which it doesn't matter how far out you look into futures, plural, um, to, to ask that kind of a question, because, the answer is going to have more to do with for like for whom that relationship is occurring and for you know the indefinite foreseeable future human beings will you know be starting sort of at uh, you know biological square one being born into these different environments but in a way that you know that they still have to people still have to develop psychologically from childhood through to adulthood and develop the complexity of their their conscious ego structures, you know. And so, um, it's you know it's it's strange that you know William Gibson has that that famous thing about the future is already here; it's just distributed unevenly. And it's not he's not just talking about technological change; he's talking about uh, cognitive sophistication. And so, like the way that I feel like the way that uh, this boil, this answers your question is that there have been people for, for years that, you know, like Catherine Hales and Donna Haraway in the, you know, the post-humanist conversation in terms of like post-humanism as a, as a branch of literary theory that have been saying that, you know, the, the integration of, of a, a truly postmodern philosophy and cybernetic technology is that, you know, the, the, the human is a provisional identity. And, you know, that it's, um, it's sort of up for grabs and that it's, it's going to become, uh, you know, a terrain in which people who people have always felt in some sense in pre-modern societies, uh, an identity with sacred tools, you know, a continuity with them. Um, we, re you know, we rejected this in the modern world, but there's no reason why it's not just sort of more natural to human cognition to think of ourselves as cyborgs, um, even though that's not the term we, we used to use, you know, that like I, to, to, to think about merging with the machine is to ignore all of the ways that we are already intimate uh, with 
the, the, the technologies that we use, you know, to, to carry a phone with us all, at all times, to sleep with it next to us. Um, these things are penetrating our electromagnetic fields. And in important ways, it's not really um, adequate to our modern environment to regard the skin as the edge of the human body. We live in a deeply saturated electromagnetic environment. And therefore, I think it's, you know, important to regard the the actual electromagnetic envelope of the human being as sort of the extent of us, which is why so many people are sensitive about personal space and, and like uh, emotional mm-hmm. contagion in, in crowds because we literally do biologically synchronize with one another. Um, you know, this is really well studied with firewalkers, but that's besides the point. Like to, <laughs> to try and like give you a, a sort of like cherry on top of this. Um, yes, there will be all sorts of, you know, people are already making brain nets between people, you know, I mean, we don't, we don't need to wait on legislation to say this is okay if you're willing to experiment on yourselves. You know, I mean, technology is going to rush ahead of us in every conceivable direction. People will remix brain body interfaces in every imaginable way. People will reject these technologies in creative ways we didn't anticipate. Um, you know, I mean, this is, that's the, that's the point is that like, because the nature of the evolutionary change that we're going through right now is a recombinant change. It is akin to the emergence of syntactic language. Like it's the, akin to the moment when we stopped speaking in single word utterances and started speaking in sentences, except the informational unit here are, are the, those units are social. So those units are individual people like being linked together into, uh, you know, social, or techno-social units of groups of people, you know, meta-organisms. This is, you know, there's there's a similar kind of cyborg interfacing going on between governments and uh, private institutions, you know, that I think is worth keeping an eye on as a, as its own form of endosymbiosis. You know, so it's it's a uh, the ultimate message is sort of like that weird is the new normal, uh, and that yeah, like people are going to do all sorts of weird things. <laughs> and uh yeah well they may do weird things but what do you think are going to be some of the more dominant trends over the next you know i don't know 50 to 100 years 50 to 100 is hard to say i mean i think the thing that is that has always most interested me is um what we we're a moment ago we were talking about you know the augmented reality or mixed you know mixed reality and um you know, like Peter Watts, this Canadian science fiction writer, uh, he wrote these fabulous books, Blind Sight and Necropraxia, that interrogate the notion that, that human consciousness is evolutionarily adaptive at the galactic scale, that maybe it's just a localized fluke that it worked for us here, and that other in, more intelligent forms are, uh, you know, sort of better suited. But um, he talks about in those books this, this system called consensus, uh, where, you know, we don't really use screens anymore. Uh, we're just sort of projecting things through neural interfaces into what appear to be uh, common spaces, you know, but they're not, it's not even really like a holographic projector. It's, it's literally just neural stimulation. And I think that that's, I think that that's a, uh, a likely end to this for one strain of humanity. And I think that that strain of humanity is going to find itself up against some, um, some real xenophobia. You know, I mean, we're, it's it's impossible, I think, for the human kind not to really speciate at this point. And I'm not just talking about like the rich versus the poor 
because I think that, you know, like people like Douglas Rushkoff have made a really good cases about that, that, you know, a lot of this technological development is driven by billionaires wanting to escape apocalypse, you know, their own sort of uh, post-industrial or meta-industrial transnational activities are, are accelerating, hastening. <laughs> but, um, but there's this other sense in which it really is just a proliferation of empowered garage biolabs and you know other weird hackery i mean i know so many people in austin where you are um where they have the body hacking conference every year you know um they just had it right. in february and they you know it's it's such a that's one of so many places in just this one country that that this sort of radical self-experimentation is being embraced and encouraged and people are are sharing their information with each other and you know we're like the uh, human beings are like the prototypical driverless car network. You know, we're like good at updating one another. Not quite as good as those driverless cars, but you know, like that is a goal for many people. So it's easy to imagine brain nets being, you know, a vital currency of some, some future culture. And, um, you know, and in that sense, uh, it's interesting to imagine what all of the other types of human beings might do sort of around that, you know, what, what, um, you know, that, cause that's a sort of a distinct thing from honoring the individual in some sort of way, but then still, um, using brain stimulation to edit the personality or something, you know, there, there's, there's a whole bunch of different ways that this can spill. Uh, and for me, it's just interesting to think of it as an ecosystem of all of these different strategies of people trying to find their way in an increasingly an information and energy rich future you know it's it's a very a curious portrait so uh, i don't know are there any major uh you know we're going to walk around i don't know 10 20 30 years from now i'm not sure what time scale you have insight into but at, at what point do you think we're going to walk around and things really will be truly very different than they are now uh well you know that's the funny thing i mean change is scale dependent right like and also path dependent in the sense that you know a lot of a lot of big changes happen from small origins but they're at like particular points of nodal influence in the the scheme of things so like to talk about change to talk about when when change will come like uh you know i'm, I'm fond of the the louis ck uh thing about how you know by the time you know, just by the statistics that I think he said, you know, we're doing this show before Christmas and by Christmas, you know, two of you in this audience will be dead. <laughs> you know? So, you know, for them, it's a real big difference uh, very soon. Um, and, and, you know, I used to be in my 20s, I used to be much more uh, uh, apocalyptic uh, and epocalyst. And I was, um, you know, very, very convinced that the singularity was coming rather soon <laughs> and you know as i have aged i feel i have gotten you know 10 years down the line i feel like i've gotten a better view of what change that happens in a moment in the geological record really looks like on the streets and uh you know it's not to say that things aren't happening fast here because they are unprecedentedly fast um but it is to say that i don't know i mean for different people who are accommodated or acclimated to and accommodating to different degrees of change, people who are more like comfortable of 
tolerating ambiguity and, and, and paradox, you know, a, a weird future is not going to be as weird. It'll be easier for these people to embrace it. You know, like the, the, diff the difference between pleasure and pain is one sort of relationship to the intensity of that neural stimulus, or so I hear from uh, every single person that I have ever speak uh, out of like the BDSM community. Um, so I think that, you know, like wh when will really intense uh, radical change occur? I mean, it, it's happening. It's happening right now. Um, well, you know, it's, I think it's, yeah. <laughs> what's an example of some of the most extreme change that you've seen that's happening right now? I think that um, I'm getting more comfortable allowing auto completion in my digital communication and i'm getting more and more comfortable with ai assistance and i think that that's like you know in certain ways that's really being hyped up by technologists in other ways it is kind of a sleeper thing in our society like all of these different ways that we are starting to use not not ai that's like such a, a pain, like an, a, a counterproductively simple way of thinking about this to refer to it in the singular. Like we're, we're talking about a, an, a blooming ecosystem of different kinds of machine intelligences, you know, thousands and thousands of different kinds that have been evolved for different purposes. And so, I mean, really, I think that that is sort of the most significant and and radical and evolutionarily significant thing that's going on right now but we're at a very early step of it um and you know when it's when it's all said and done um i gave this talk at moogfest 2016 about how i feel that at the end of the 21st century we will have returned to something more like jungle indigenous shamanism or like you know the the, the sort of medi medicine traditions of brazil than what we have now insofar as we will be living in this mysterious animated space that is pregnant with design and intention and you know that that every surface we encounter is rife with with meaning and interactivity and you know to me that's that sounds like the spaces, you know, illustrated by like visionary artists like Luis Tamani and Pablo um, Pablo Amaringo, you know, these these ayahuasca painters who just knock this kind of thing out of the park. I mean, they're looking at it from, you know, through that lens of that particular tradition. But I think that when we design through a, you know, through thermodynamic necessity, systems of increasingly adroit biomimicry then we end up in these spaces like um uh josh wolf of lux capital was was on uh farnham street podcast talking about this about how designoid surfaces that we allow algorithms to evolve for us are going to become more and more normal and our designed environments are going to start resembling more and more like uh fractal or natural uh type spaces you know like like grown rather than than made and so you know i think that that's a big that's a big trend in the future and that will be concomitant with this this growing acceptance that we live within the cosmos that you know we're sort of like in the belly of the whale i i have a an essay up on medium 
uh, about that, um, which sort of emerged from my experiences with Google Glass and like living inside the heads up display, you know, and realizing yeah. that, you know, that this is sort of that even as the, the sort of technological element that we interface with grows smaller and smaller. And, and again, Kevin Kelly has said this before me and very eloquently um, that it actually is dependent on this much larger technological infrastructure that that is sort of occluded it's like sunk into the ocean in order to like dump heat or whatever that you know we hide the sort of the the guts of this thing as the guts of the the creature are sort of always hidden but you know the um you know that nonetheless we are in that sense within the belly of what he calls the technium you know, that this, this living technological globe encircling thing that we have extruded. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's the big change. Well, well very good. We're, uh, you know, we're just about out of time here. So, you know, I can see online you have a number of posts and you talk about a medium post and other, uh, you know, you've been a speaker for a long time. Where, where's the best place for listeners to find out more about your work and your thought process? Oh, you can go to michaelgarfield.net. Um, I, I have my Patreon page linked from my Twitter uh, at Michael Garfield is Twitter and Instagram. I have for the last 10 years also done, you know, hundreds of paintings, science inspired and, and, and completed at, you know, festivals and concerts all over the place. So you can know, have a business okay. program too, you know, surprise. Anyway, um, yeah, thanks no, for good. having me on. Yeah. Excellent. All right. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.